Welcome to Transforming Education, Leadership Lessons. This podcast is hosted by Northwestern College. We're bringing you thought leaders who are influencing education and the world around them. Each episode provides new leadership lessons so you can learn how to embrace your own influence. Leadership has nothing to do with title or position. That leadership has to do with impact. And the role of a leader isn't to create followers, it's to enable more leaders. Take away leadership qualities that inspire. I think good leaders really get people brought together around a cause and can inspire them to be better than they were yesterday or to do something great. Care about others. We need teachers out there that are caring and compassionate and are interested in the student beyond the discipline that they're teaching. Show people they matter. We don't have a bullying problem. We don't even have a gun problem. We have a mattering problem. By knowing you matter. You matter to yourself first before you can matter to someone else. So further your impact. When you just authentically love your students, I just don't think you can help but grow. Understand your core values. You can tell pretty quickly any core leader, whether or not he or she is there for the mission at hand for the people that they serve or whether they're there for themselves. And align your mission. Everything we do on campus, whether it's someone in the maintenance department or someone teaching in the classroom or to coach, uh, it should tie back to our mission of impacting students for the cause of Christ. Discover how to use your influence to inspire others. That is why the relationships is so critical in everything we do, because when people know you care about them, they know yet they have your best interest, and then it sinks in. Let's welcome our host, Gary Richardson. My name is Gary Richardson, director of the Masters of Education program and instructor in the education department at Northwestern College. I want to thank you for listening to Transforming Education Leadership Lessons because there's just a ton of podcasts out there. And if we're lucky enough to get you, that would be great. And uh, our job is to bring in thought partners to inspire and influence your leadership. This episode, we will be discussing leadership lessons with Dr. Devin Vadichka. Devin is recognized as one of the most innovative educational leaders in the country. He is a three-time California Superintendent of the Year while serving the Vista Public School District, which has an enrollment of about 25,000 students. Devin is a nine-time White House invitee, both in recognition for district-wide achievement and to advise and partner with the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Educational Technology and Digital Promise League of Innovative Schools. Devin is the Chief Impact Officer for Altitude Learning, which catalyzes and accelerates the shift to learner-centered education in schools across the country. Devin believes we can empower every learner to drive their own learning and reach their full potential. You can access Devin's resources at www.altitudelearning.com. Welcome to the podcast, Devin. Thank you. Happy to be here. Would you mind sharing a bit about your background so that we might get to know you just a bit better? Thrilled to be here. Uh, as you said, you know, I'm, I'm in California. I'm a first generation American. My dad is Czech. My mom's Dutch. Uh, grew up in a small town in Northern California. Both my parents uh, worked in technology and then ended up being computer teachers. And uh, so I just grew up in a house where we were constantly talking about teaching and learning and, and technology. And of course, the, the tools that my parents were working with when I was a kid were very crude and rudimentary sure. by uh, today's standards. I've always been interested in this idea that we can leverage you know, these new innovations in a way that really is powerful in terms of accelerating 
agency, collaboration, problem solving, the, the types of things that we want to see for, for each and every student. Uh, you know, now the work that I'm doing uh, with Altitude Learning is we're partnered with schools and districts and organizations across the country trying to help move away from a, a one-size-fits-all industrial model of teaching and learning into something that recognizes our humanity, recognizes our cultural differences, and really embraces the strengths and interests of, of each and every one of us to mm. try to make the world a better place. Very good. Uh, Vadichka is, is somewhat unique name and background. And I'm, I'm just wondering if, if, if your background led you into uh, the work that you're doing today. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and you know, your, your pronunciation is, is spot on there. Uh, I get a lot of, uh, a lot of jokes about my name, Vodichka, as I said, Czech, it's the same word as vodka, which is Russian. And so, you know, when I was a principal and district administrator, I was always worried that I would not pay attention to spell check on my uh, letters to parents because my name would autocorrect to devil vodka, which is. Well, we might've just is, increased our listenership with that. Yeah. Uh, potentially, potentially. But yeah, I mean, I, I grew up, uh, as I said, you know, a first generation American small town and felt very much like a cultural outsider in a lot of ways. Sure. We had family traditions like uh, a Czech tradition is to have a name day where uh, every name has a special day of the year. Uh, and on that day, you get, you know, a, a little piece of cake and a present and I would go to school and I'd be so excited about my name day, asking the other kids when when they were going to have theirs and they would just look at me like I was from another planet uh -huh. uh, and having those types of uh, traditions and, and just cultural variations in a system where, you know, that was not only uh, ignored, it was actively, you know, in, in some ways discouraged uh, because of this idea that we want to have students sort of conform to uh, a standardized type of process. I know each of us is unique as an individual, but those cultural differences that uh, I have and that I experienced as a young person have certainly influenced my view on education and lead me to believe that we need to um, we need to swing the other way in terms of you know really appreciating the diversity that each of our kids bring into schools today. You know, I think the most recent data shows that something like a quarter of all students in K twelve in the United States are either first or second generation Americans. Culture is just one form of difference. We have many others as well. You know, in this sort of factory model of teaching and learning, any type of variation is often seen as a defect. And, and I really believe that we should see that as a, an asset, you know, something, something that helps us to be better as a society. Sure. It, it's interesting that standards for school leaders, as you are probably well aware of in Iowa anyway, just gone through a rewrite and it's now had to skip a year because of last year. But in July of 21, um, there'll be some new standards of which cultural competency and, and equity are two mm -hmm. things that you must bring to the table. That means different things to different people. But to hear you explain it that way of that individual approach, which we all know the factory model of teaching is still really pretty prevalent and and something that people are working to get through but I've and that's one of the reasons for the the name of the podcast is that how do we get people to understand 
how do we get educators to understand and what are the barriers to stopping that model or revising that model to where we're we're engaging more people. So maybe that leads to my, I don't think people want to listen to me um, opine on that, but it leads me to my question of what's, what is a, a chief impact officer? And, and can you provide examples of the work that you're doing with student mm-hmm. center learning models? Sure. Chief impact officer is really trying to promote a positive impact uh, in the world. I have sort of come to define impact as efficacy times scale equals impact. And scale is, is something that a lot of people focus on, you know, how many, how many students are you affecting? But efficacy is something that I think deserves a lot of attention in the current climate, because the metrics that we have been looking at in education for quite some time, seat time, grade point averages, standardized testing, they only get you so far in terms of really understanding whether you're empowering students to know themselves and, and be change makers in the world. So one of the projects that I really enjoyed doing was a research project to try to better understand what does a, a modern view of success in learning look like? How can we redefine efficacy? And came up with an impact framework that includes three dimensions to it. Something that's internal to the self, something that relates to our interactions with others, and another about our role in community and have titled those three areas, agency, collaboration, and problem solving. And so in terms of agency, you know, do you know yourself? Do you know your strengths? Do you feel like you have the power to act? In terms of collaboration, that's where cultural competence, empathy, curiosity, listening, uh, all, all come into play. And then problem solving is your ability to translate your knowledge into wisdom and to apply what you have inside of yourself to improve communities and and society. A lot of what I do in my current job is help work with schools and systems to operationalize systems to try to promote agency, collaboration, and problem solving, and to really orient around this expanded view of success to expand what we expect uh, of each of us as individuals and and what we can do in terms of a a learner-centered type of uh, educational experience. So if, if you went back to the role of superintendent of schools, what would you do differently? That's a good question. I think about it a lot uh, because I'm, I'm in conversation with superintendents uh, sure. just about every day. I wrote an article a few months after my transition where I talked about a few simple things that, that, that I would do differently. One would be you know switching from an annual horizon to quarterly. The cadence in the world outside of schools is just much, much faster, uh, which leads to more rapid iteration, rapid changes, rapid learning. Our orientation to this, you know, seasonality with an annual calendar is is in some ways counterproductive to the way that we understand the brain works and the way that we understand that the modern science of learning would indicate that we should be organizing ourselves. So switching to quarters instead of an an annual horizon is one. Another really has to do with, um, it's funny, our organization is set up where you can work from anywhere. So, you know, we have employees that live all over the United States. And it was really my first experience of seeing that death of distance and how using technology uh, was making the world smaller in a lot of ways. And so I was saying initially that we should be doing more with video conferencing, video chats, 
of course, now in the coronavirus. You got your uh, wish. Uh, we're all compelled to be doing that. But uh, it was something that was, you know, I think a change that was coming uh, at some point, regardless of uh, the global pandemic. So those are a couple of quick changes, you know, different horizon, really leveraging, uh, you know, video types of things. But the other change that I would say is, you know, every organization is structured in different ways and schools and school systems are pretty well rooted in a hierarchical model. And so you can walk into just about any school and find out who has the most authority just based on who's got the biggest office and who's, who's wearing the most formal attire. Sure. But in, in the world outside of schools, most organizations are shifting to a performance orientation where, you know, stature is not derived based on your attire. It's not derived based on where your office is. You see this flattening of, of teams and rewarding performance instead of formal authority. And I think that's a shift that schools really need to, to move towards as well, which is one reason that competency-based types of uh, systems for students and adults, I think, are more in line with where the world is headed. That's interesting. We in Iowa have tried to follow a distributive leadership module with our teacher, uh, teacher leader compensation program, which is legislated and funded by the legislature. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you said is really accurate in what I see as a leadership coach when I work with principals is, is your, the first thing you said really resonated. And that was when I went into a building, I kind of knew who really was in charge and Mm -hmm. it wasn't always the one with the, that was dressed (laughs) to the nines and had the biggest office. It was was many times somebody else kind of plugged things in. So I, that that's interesting for sure. So my next question, Devin may or may not have been planted by some folks that you worked with. (laughs) Um, a few years back. But, you know, as I said, our podcast is is really tries to go after how do we transform education and try to do it in a leadership way. So we a lot of our conversations revolve around leadership and not so much transforming the system. So Mm -hmm. I, I find this conversation to be really productive. So how do we balance the innovation that's out there today with uh, educational excellence? And specifically, this is the loaded part, how can a district systematically ensure that innovation is balanced with true research-based education strategies and not disregard the curriculum and what is proven instructionally? This is a really, really good question. I've had, you know, a good amount of time to reflect. I've been writing a lot, you know, was was lucky to publish this book, uh, Learner-Centered Leadership. And in that book, I talk about two types of of learning. One, which is a system that follows linear progressions where there are right and wrong answers. And I call that ladder learning because you basically move from one rung to the other. There's another type of learning, which is much more complex contextualized, open-ended, more than one right answer. Uh, And I call that not learning because there's more than one way to to undo a not typically. When we talk about efficacy and research in education, we're typically talking about what we know about how to incrementally improve latter types of learning. And a lot of the, the ways in which we think about effectiveness tend to also be tied to these right and wrong answers that you can get in a ladder type of system. We need 
information that we need knowledge uh, in order to apply what we're doing. And so there is definitely a role for using that, that type of uh, approach in an educational system. And it turns out technology is actually pretty good at some of these things. So if you think about like multiplying, you know, you have to first know how to multiply one digit numbers before you can do two digit numbers. And there are adaptive learning systems that are pretty good at using branching to help students move through those linear progressions. Mm -hmm. what, what, what is often missed though, is that anything that can be codified in that way is likely going to be automated over time because, you know, the jobs, if it can get down to a right or wrong answer, it, it, it lends itself well to that technology-based type of solution as well. So the, the role of humans in the future is going to be much more oriented to these open-ended problems where there is not one right or wrong answer and where it is very difficult to have research that tells you exactly how to do that because you know th this is real world problem solving eradicating homelessness or you know improving the the quality of our air or uh cleanliness of our water supply these are very very complex challenges that that don't lend themselves to simple answers and our system has been focused primarily on latter types of learning because that was right. what was emphasized in the past and we need to shift into this mode of embracing open-ended types of problem solving where you know basically you learn by doing as opposed to having an expert tell you what to do and in terms of leadership Heifetz one of my favorites he talks about the distinction between technical and adaptive challenges and you can apply those frameworks to ladders and, and knots as well so in a technical model there's there's an expert who has solved that before and can repeatably solve it over and over again. That's what we tend to look for in education in many cases. In an adaptive challenge, there is no expert who knows exactly how to solve it. And the people who have the challenge have to do the work to learn and, and uh, improve. And so for us as educators, we need to recognize it's good to build knowledge, good to use technology to to create those uh, foundational types of skills for students, but we also need to be shifting more and more to adaptive to, to a world where humans are focused on adaptive challenges. So where does the efficacy piece fit here? So there are ways that you can assess efficacy in, in each of these systems. I mean, we, we do have some pretty well-defined systems to, to measure those types of questions where you get right or wrong answers. I would just say that they're part of the way that we should think about efficacy and that we need to have that expanded view. If you really think about agency collaboration and problem solving, you want to be getting input that, such as self-reflection, peer feedback, educator observations are, are mm -hmm. very valuable. In a system that's moving more towards knots, towards adaptive challenges, you really want to be thinking more about performance assessment uh, or performance-based assessment and less about, you know, ABCD types of uh, assessments. Yeah, Donahue would call that impact of learning and how is that measured? That's the piece that when we talked about collective efficacy in systems that potentially is missing, we can set up PLCs and we can set up a way that we're going to treat each other and what our roles are and our expectations, but what is it we're actually measuring? How do we know if we're, yeah, positive difference in every student's 
uh, life. So, so Devin, for the first time, we, we have obviously millions of students that are attending school online. Where do we need to put our focus in order to improve student engagement? Yeah, I mean, these are incredibly challenging times right now. The most difficult back to school period I've ever seen in my career. And sort of like Maslow has a hierarchy of needs, we, we, we need to remember that there's there are some foundational things that need to be in place if we want remote or distance learning to be effective. First and foremost, we need learners to be safe, and that requires attention to food security, housing security, their mental health, their, their emotional well-being. These are, these are just critical for learning. We know that. Next, we need to make sure that students have access to devices, internet, to mentors and, and adults. And, you know, as a society, we still have massive variation in those areas. And it's very difficult to effectively do distance learning if, if a student can't access the internet or if they don't have sure. a device. Those are foundational and you see a lot of our early efforts right now are around those basic needs and, and access issues. But beyond that, we have to remember if we're learner centered, we have to remember learning is social, especially if we want to move towards these open-ended complex challenges. I see quite a few schools or systems that are trying to reduce complexity by narrowing and going back to a very small set of standards that they feel are more achievable. And it's sort of reverting back to more of the latter types of learning experiences and, and students doing digital worksheets that are not very engaging. Right. And when you're disconnected, if you're not doing very engaging work, you're really going to disengage from that experience. So this is a time where I hope that we can also really embrace authentic learning challenges, project-based learning, open-ended learning, and try to use the technology that we have to build social community as best as we can, even though we're physically separated. You know, those are some of the things that I would be hoping to see. And if we can do a good job of that, I think that over time we'll end up with much more flexible learning options for students, which could end up being a very positive development over a longer period of time. We are visiting with Dr. Devin Vadichka, Chief Impact Officer for Altitude Learning. Devin, what's one thing that Altitude for Learning has done for students, teachers, or administrators that you didn't expect? You know, that's a good question. One, well, I'll just tell you about one development that just gives me a lot of optimism. So one of our partners is a school called Design 39 uh, in Poway, which is uh, San Diego County. It's a design thinking school. And when uh, coronavirus hit, you know, they, like many of us said, we need to have a, an opportunity for people to come together. And so they reached out to us and said, well, you know, what, what do you think? Could we do some type of virtual summit and just get people in conversation with one another? And so we reached out to a few other organizations that we collaborate with like education, reimagine big picture learning, getting smart, boundless. And we said, what if we just do an online summit and, and just bring people together and, and share where we are and where we think we might go. So we did it we called it a, a new way forward. And the first summit that we had, there were more than 3000 educators across the country that came together 
we did a second summit that had uh, about 2,000 educators come together. So I guess a surprise uh, that, that I've seen, which is a great surprise, is that we can help be a connector and a convener, sort of a social host, to use Margaret Wheatley's model of leadership, to bring people together to engage in these really complex challenges that we have. And we don't do it in isolation, but I, I think you know, that's definitely a positive development, positive surprise that I, I didn't know that we would be able to do uh, when I started in this role. And playing off of that, is there one person that has changed the way you've approached your work? A person I work very closely with at Altitude is uh, Dr. Katie Martin, who I think has been on your yes. podcast, yep. if I remember right. She's just a great thinker, an innovator, uh, very um a good listener to um, educators and students and, and school leaders that are having challenges. And so we collaborate a lot and she's definitely elevated my, uh, my thinking around innovation opportunities and challenges. And um, so she's been a great, great partner uh, over the past couple of years. Very good. So Devin, what's uh, the most important thing that you've learned about leadership in your life? One is really hard. So, you know, thanks to all the leaders who are out there. Yeah. But w one of my mentors is Myron Rogers, who uh, co-wrote the book, A Simpler Way, with Margaret Wheatley. I've always been interested in systems and uh, a living systems approach. And, and when I was a relatively new school administrator, I had a conversation with Myron that, that really shaped my thinking. And I said, you know, leadership is so hard. We end up in all these situations that we could never anticipate and you know what do you do when when, you, when you're confronted with these challenges that you're you're not prepared for and he said well there's there are two things that you do under any challenging circumstance one you increase internal connectedness and two you increase external connectedness and you know that advice has really shaped my leadership perspective I ended up doing my dissertation on relational trust and social capital and firmly believe that, you know, transformational change, incremental improvement, it all happens in community. It all happens in relationship. It all happens in dialogue. And in order to, to do that well, we need to have strong connections with one another, which requires relational trust. And so any time in my career I've ever had struggles it's you know internal and external connectedness that is the way forward mm -hmm. uh, and i think over these past few months with the uh, coronavirus and the challenges we've had that the wisdom of, of myron's advice to me has really been reinforced and, and just compels me to continue to believe that connectedness is the, the core of leadership mm -hmm. so who cares what is possible I listened to you mention the importance of these two questions, actually having an answer um, in a TED Talk that you did. So what is the significance of having an answer to those questions? You know, it goes a little bit back to the whole technical versus adaptive challenge. But I think leaders often, or at least I should say for me, I often have felt a responsibility to have the answers to these challenges and to these questions. And the reality is that I don't. You know, it, the, the world is moving quickly. No one person is going to have enough perspective, context, experience to, to have all the solutions. So these two questions, which come from Margaret Wheatley, 
influence the way in which I, I think about what we should do when, again, confronted with a challenge. First is ask who cares and invite in a wide audience. And, and what I've found over and over and over in my career is that more people care about education than we might initially think. Community members care, early education, higher education, businesses, retirees, you know, they all care about kids and, and our future. Certainly our, our staff, you know, administrators and teachers and classified staff members, they, they care deeply about the work that we're doing. Invite them into that, that process. Uh, and don't forget students. Students care a lot about sure. what happens to yep. them and they're incredible contributors. So, you know, when you're confronted with a challenge, ask that question, who, who cares and invite people in, be that social host. And then once people are there, a natural tendency is, is to identify a lot of barriers and a lot of obstacles, policies that are uh, maybe misaligned with what you're trying to do or uh, resource constraints, time and money, or, you know, resistance from, you know, someone who has a different perspective. There are always reasons why you can't do things, but the role of the leader in those conversations is to shift from challenge to possibility and to say, well, what is possible here? What can we do? How can we exert our agency? And what are the steps that we can take that will make a positive difference? And bringing people together who care and orienting them to a sense of possibility unleashes potential that's much, much greater than any one of us. And that's that's what you know I would hope that leaders are trying to do. That's really good. What are you most curious about right now in education? There are a lot of interesting developments. You know, I, even before coronavirus, I was writing blogs about, you know, are we on the verge of a new paradigm? And are we going to get to a tipping point where we have a new and different system of, of education? A lot of interesting models out there with community-based schools and, and connecting, you know, with health services or with child care uh, options that are, are unique and, and I think very compelling. And right now you see these sort of emergent opportunities like pandemic pods. And, and so there's a lot of, uh, I guess I would call it, you know, experimentation and, and efforts out there to try to uh, come up with a new model. There's also this reconciliation with our long and, and painful history of, of racism in our country and inequality that it's not just about race, but gender as well. And so feel like this is a very stressful time and it's also a time where there's a lot of creative opportunities and so what i'm most curious about is which of these new models are going to light the way to a completely new normal uh, and a much better future mm -hmm. and i'm excited that we're at a time that we get to be contributors and, and co-constructors of this potential future what are you reading right now that might interest the people that would be listening? Just finished a book called Emergent Strategy. That was really good. That one, got a book right in front of me called The Power of Place by Tom Vander Ark, Emily Leaptag, and Nate McLennan. That, that's really good. So those are a couple that I would recommend. Is there something that I should have asked you that I didn't know enough to ask? You've asked a lot of really, really good questions. I appreciate it. No. One of the things I always enjoy about these uh, opportunities is I learn just as much as, as I think I'm contributing. There's, there's great power in just reflection and introspection. So 
I'm just deeply grateful for the opportunity to connect and, and share and, you know, hope that I'm able to express my gratitude for being able to learn through this experience as well. So I, thank you. Yeah, you're very kind. That, uh, this was really good and appreciate your time and your schedule and your thoughts are, are they're really transformational. And Leslie and I appreciate you taking time to be with us today. We thank Devin for giving of his time and sharing his wisdom as we reflect on leaders that inspire and influence education. So Leslie, what did you jot down or some things, and there were many, uh, that are really highlights? So many. I, I love Devin's conversation, and I, I think every listener is, is, again, one of those that you need to listen to several times to catch all of those those tidbits. Um, I love his, his story, first, even of of experiencing his own culture mm -hmm. in America and feeling like that outsider and how he's transformed that into his his leadership role and impact that he hopes to have. I thought that was really powerful. And as we all move forward in embracing diversity, that's so valuable. Uh, and he talked a lot about efficacy and what that means and understanding truly the empowerment of how, what you're having uh, in the lives of students or others versus sometimes our modern view of success and that sort of thing. So he talked about efficacy times scale equals impact. Mm -hmm. And in those three roles, agency, collaboration, and problem solving. Just a, a lot of different things that make a lot of sense. And when he was talking specifically about student-centered environments and knowing that there's, there's a linear progression or ladder learning and then not learning, which K-N-O-T being things exactly. that you can't always have an answer for and, and you move on accordingly. And then I, I was really interested in the who cares and what is possible and the who cares is inviting inviting in a wide audience when you're talking about educating children and, right, and right. the knowledge that a lot of them there are a lot of people that are interested including students on on how they best do care, yes <laughs> yeah and then as leaders we need to shift from the barriers that are involved in some of the complex issues that we have and and look for the possibilities so um, for sure. And when we bring all those people to the table that truly care, that's when we orient them to that possibility, as he mentioned, and that unleashes the problem solving and the creativity and understanding that challenge fully. And then sure. I know you wrote down a couple of the books that, that he mentioned, but I also wanted to mention that his book, Devin's book, Learner-Centered Leadership, is really good. And as you listen yes. to him talk, this book is just exactly listening like listening to him in this podcast so what were the That's books fantastic. that he mentioned yeah emergent strategy uh, shaping change and changing worlds as well as power of place very good so we want to thank all of you for listening to transforming education leadership lessons because I know that you have a ton of options, as we said before. As a leader in education, you matter, and how you lead matters to a whole bunch of people that you serve on a daily basis. You were created for significance. Thanks again to uh, you, Leslie, and to Dan and Cho for getting this thing up and up and out. And until next time, inspire and influence.